my name is Johan Verstaan. I'm one of the lead pastors of Lichtens. It's a church plant in Pretoria. We planted in 2010. Uh, we've been part of Acts 29 since 2012. We've been members pretty much since 2012. Uh, just to mention, because um, and this will make sense as we go on, just a bit more about our church. So we are a church that um, have been aggressively trying to plant churches from the beginning. So um, that's uh, Lichtman as a church itself isn't that, that that spectacular, and it's partly because we spend a lot of time on trying to help other guys plant churches. And so we we sent out fifty of our young adults in 2013 to another part of the city, and they started an evening congregation there. Uh, and we've had three church plant residents uh, up until now. And so Ana Mokatle was a resident with us for two years, and he planted in 2000, uh, the beginning of this year. We've got another guy who's planting in February next year, 2016. And very, I'm very excited to say that there's a guy that's just joined us now, who's for the next two years is going to be a resident for a year and a half. And then beginning 2017, um, he's going to plant in Mamalodi Township, which is very close to where we are based as a church. And uh, we're really looking forward to that. The reason why I'm mentioning that, though, is is, is, is for this reason. The, the reason why I mention it is this, is that uh, if you want to be a church planting church, remember we, we're not only interested in planting churches, but planting church planting churches. And if you want to be a church planting church, this is very important for you to hear today. You have to. You have to become a training church. You have to become a training church. You can talk over uh, cappuccino and coffee shops about church planting till you are blue in the face. If you're not intentionally giving your time, giving your money, giving your energy to training church planters, you won't be planting churches. You might plant one, the church that you're going to plant, but you won't be in any sustainable way plant churches thereafter. And so that is what we're going to do in this session. We're going to think through training and churches, not seminaries, but churches, planting churches. Two questions that I'm going to try and answer first. The first is, why should churches be training plasters? Plasters. We're gonna we're gonna think through that, and then secondly, how does it look like? Uh, what would it look like if we were to 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 train planters? Uh, and so let's do that, and then hopefully there'll be a few minutes, and then fifteen minutes or so that we can do a bit of a Q and A. Q&A. First thing, then, why should churches be training planters? Can I ask you to open your Bibles? There was a passage that uh, was. Uh, it's, it's been mentioned, I think it was mentioned in that video in the earlier session. We all know Matthew 9, verse 37 and 38. Can you please open to the fairly well-known passage, Matthew 9, verse 37 and 38. Remember now we're thinking through why should churches be training planters. Very briefly, this is Jesus. He's busy with his ministry. He's going through the villages of Galilee. He's preaching, proclaiming the gospel. Jesus turns to his disciples and he says the Harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Two things that I want us to recognize there. And this is kind of obvious, but it needs to be said nonetheless. First thing is this. Notice that Jesus tells us of a great opportunity. Jesus says that the harvest is plentiful. Jesus is effectively saying to his disciples, I want you to look at the world through my eyes, through the, the reality as defined by God. Jesus is saying to his disciples that there are people all around you in the sovereign purposes of God are ripe for the picking. It is similar to those words in Acts um, chapter 18 that Ross reminded of us yesterday. In, in Acts 18 verse 9 and 10, where we read that the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent, goes on to say, then here's the reason, for I have many in this city who are my people. And I wonder, I fear that sometimes, even us who are in the business of church planting, that we become defeatists. We sort of go into, and often, if we're honest, we want to plant churches because we hate authority, so we want to do our own thing. Um, and so we end up just wanting to create a church where I can plot along and somebody can pay my salary and it, and it will be nice. And we forget what the, the amazing opportunity that we have. Jesus is saying is that there's a harvest out there. There are people that the Lord has 
before the creation of the world, he's, he's called them to be his people. He's chosen for them to be his people. And we've got this amazing opportunity to gather them. To gather them in. The harvest is plentiful. But here's the thing. There's a great need. The great need is that the laborers are few. That was true in Jesus' day, and it's true in our day and age. Let me just do a quick, um, let's do a case study to, to, to labor this point. Um, Tim Keller has a, has a thing, maybe you've heard this before, where Tim Keller says that what we are seeking in any society, in any city, in any region, is to, to strive to see 10% of the people in that society or that city or that region to be, become Christians and get plugged into evangelical, Bible-believing, gospel-proclaiming churches. That if you get 10% at least, it becomes sort of a tipping point. You get to a situation where now you can truly become salt and light for that society and it can really have an influence on the society. So let's run with that for a moment and let's just take Gauteng, so this area between Johannesburg and Pretoria as a case study um, and, and using that principle. In Gauteng, there's currently, roughly speaking, 13 million people living. So there's 13 million people, which means that we need uh, 1.3 million Christians in Bible-believing, gospel-centered churches. Now, the Barna Institute in America says that the average-sized church in America, so I'm going to go with that because we haven't got figures in South Africa, but the average-sized church, at least in the, there, would be 100 people in the church. What that means is that we need, only in Gauteng, we need 13,000 healthy, Bible-believing, gospel-centered, great, commission-obeying kind of churches. Now, I wonder if you had to answer me how many churches currently like that exist in Gauteng. 20? 50? Let's be uber-generous and we say there's 300. Bible-believing, gospel-centered, no-nonsense, Great Commission kind of churches in Gauteng. We need 13,000 in order only to have 10% of the, pop, of, 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 of the population in churches. The point is this. The laborers are few. There is a harvest, but the, labor, the laborers are few. And therefore, what we need to do is Jesus gives us the command. Jesus tells us we have to pray our subtle. We need to be praying. Notice what Jesus says there in the text. If you've got it open in front of you, he says that we need to pray and ask the Lord of the harvest to raise up workers for his harvest field. The point is that God is sovereign. It is his harvest. And so he is the one who will do that work of raising up and sending out laborers into the harvest field. But here's actually the, the thing that I want us to consider for a moment. How do you think, if God were to do that, what would it look like if God were to answer our prayers and raise up and send our laborers into the harvest field? How is God going to do that? Because here's the thing. I fear that we often, we often over-spiritualize things. We, uh, we, we, we always think that we need to pray and then God is just going to rain church plants from the sky. And that's how it's going to work. Uh, and, and, it's, and, I, and I mentioned this yesterday, I think it comes from a, a defective theology of calling. Where we often think that God goes and then he, he calls people, and then he supernaturally gives them the passion for church planting, to forsake everything to go and plant a church, and bang, at that moment they are ready to plant churches, they're equipped, they know, they know the scriptures, they know how to shepherd the people. And I want to propose that when God's church starts to pray for laborers for the harvest field, the primary way in which God will answer those prayers and raise up and send out those laborers will not happen with God bypassing the church. Yes, He will do it, but He's going to do it in and through us, the church. That is the way that He is raising up and sending out laborers for the harvest field. And I want us to briefly look at another passage. A few minutes and then we're going to go into lots and lots of practicalities. Another passage that is making exactly this point. Quickly turn with me to 2 Timothy 2, verse 1 and 2. It's well known, a well-known text specifically as you think about training. But please have a look with me again at those two verses. I think there are a few surprising things here that we might, might have missed in, in, in the past. The context here, of course, is Paul writing his second letter to his apprentice, to his intern, Timothy. Mm. And both books are there to encourage and exhort Timothy to... Uh, 
to be a faithful and a fruitful minister of the gospel. Then, chapter 2, verse 1, Paul says the following. He says, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So Paul's instruction there is clear, isn't it? Paul is instructing Timothy to entrust the apostolic teaching, so that would be the gospel message and the gospel way of life, to, in, to entrust this, this which he has received from Paul, now to entrust this to other men, to faithful men, he needs to pass it on to them, um, to faithful and able men who will teach others. Now when Paul gives that, when he gives that instruction, he is assuming something. Firstly, what he is assuming is he's assuming that Timothy will identify who the faithful men are. You cannot pass something on to faithful men if you don't know who the faithful men are. So he is intentionally, Timothy has gone about being intentional, figuring out who are the faithful men uh, who he can entrust this apostolic teaching to. Secondly then, he needs to make sure that they're able to teach others. You notice it there in the text. It's not good enough if you're faithful, but you're not able. So he needs to find out who is faithful. He needs to train them. He needs to teach them so that they can be then not only faithful, but able to teach others also. Paul, in short, is commanding Timothy to train a next generation of laborers for the harvest field. The question that we need to ask is, well, what about God then? Isn't God the one who will raise and send out workers for the harvest field? Wasn't Paul being unspiritual here? Shouldn't he just have prayed and, and, and leave the rest up to God to do it? And the answer is no, because Paul's theology was correct. He realized that the primary way, not the only way, but the primary way in which God works in this world is through His church, not bypassing His church. Paul understood that grace is not simply there. Have a look at, the, at chapter 2, verse 1. You see in chapter 2, verse 1, Paul says there, Be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and then do the following. So he realizes, yes, there's something for the church to do, but the church will only be able to do this if God graciously empowers them to do so. Paul understood that grace is not only available to us, to save us, but grace is available to us in order that we might save others. This is, friends, this is why churches ought to be training church planters. The reason is this, the harvest is plentiful, the laborers are few, and God's primary way of answering the prayers of His people in this regard is to graciously empower them to be the means by which He is going to raise up and send out laborers for the harvest field. Now we're going to get to lots more of the practicalities of this. Okay, but how do you do it? If we are convinced that we, not the seminaries out there, we ought to be identifying, raising up, training, equipping, sending out guys to plant churches, how would it look like in practice if we wanted to train planters? Now what I want us to do, and that's why I've given you those manuals, and apologies for those uh, who used up all the manuals in the first session. But um, I've given you this something that is, I've given it to you to be a model of how we are trying to do this. And so it's, if you look at the, the front page there, it's, it's, it's under the banner of an organization called Transmission. Transmission is a ministry training program. The, the very idea of transmission comes there from 2 Timothy 2 verse 2. There was a transmission of the apostolic teaching that happened from Jesus to Paul, from Paul to Timothy, from Timothy to faithful able men, from them to others. And so that is, that is what's the thinking behind transmission. Now I've given it to you here, what we have tried to do at Lichtens, and in partnership with other churches in Gauteng. This is not, I'm not trying to sell transmission to you. Any of you, if any of you would like to, to uh, find out more and become involved, that would be wonderful. The idea is here to give you a model of what it looks like in practice if you want to intentionally try and train up church planters. And then you can take that, tweak that, chuck certain stuff, spin out the bones, and, and improve on it. Alright. So, please open if you can. If you've got the manual in front of you, some of you haven't. But if you can open up there in section 1 of the manual on page 7. It says page 7 of 9. Uh, 7 of 9. 
Um, it's, not, it's, not, it's not in there, it's, it's an actual manual. And maybe for now, if one of you is sitting next to each other, if you can, you can have it back in the end, but can we maybe just pass one or two for the guys in the front so that they're not safely in the dark here? I'll make sure that that manual comes, comes back to you. You guys can... So, so you'll notice there's a bit of a flow diagram there. I'm just briefly going to talk to you through... So this was literally five, six years ago that when we trying to figure out, we want to plant churches, and, and what are we supposed to do? So the governing objective is, of course, the Great Commission. That is the heading standing over all of the Christian life, including church planting. We want to uh, make disciples. And we believe, and there's a brilliant quote in there from Tim Keller at another place, but we believe that the best way of obeying the Great Commission is planting churches. Remember the book of Acts? The local church is not only the end result of when disciples are made, but it becomes the very vehicle for disciples to continue to be made. It's the local church, it's that strategic, eternal institution by which the Great Commission will be fulfilled. And so we said, okay, well, we want to continue to plant churches. Here's the thing. If you want to plant churches, why aren't we planting churches at the moment? And I want to propose the reason is not because there isn't opportunities. The harvest is plentiful. The reason why we're not planting churches is not primarily because there isn't money. There's lots of good guys in this world with a lot of money who's willing to give it if there's a good enough cause out there. Mm -hmm. The main reason why churches aren't being planted, friends, is because we haven't got church planters. Mm -hmm. There's a war where we haven't got soldiers that are ready and equipped mm -hmm. to go out for this war. That is the major, major reason. So what we said is, Okay, well, we want to plant churches. We need church planters to plant churches. Okay, what kind of people ought we need to do we need to find and train so that if they go out, they'll do a good job of this? And so we said, well, okay, is there any requirements in the New Testament for church planters? The answer is yes. It's the qualifications for an elder. Remember, all church planters ought to be elders, but not all elders will be church planters. And so in the New Testament, in the qualifications for elders, we see there's at least four major areas that needs to be present for an elder, therefore I will assume also for a church planter. You need to be godly. You need to have the ability to teach. You need to have leadership skills. In fact, if it's a church planter, more so than just any elder, there needs to be an entrepreneurial side to your leadership capabilities. And fourthly, you need to have a great desire for the bride of Christ. And so that is really what we set out to do. And so what it means is to be local churches. It starts at the local church. To be local churches that are constantly switched on. Constantly on the looking out for guys like that. Men in your midst who already to some extent are showing that they have got these qualifications. Of course not fully fledged, otherwise you would make them elders in your local church. But you can see that they've got him. Already in the small group context or in other ministry um, settings, they do have an understanding of God's word and ability to communicate it to others. Already you can see that there's people in the church following them. They've got a, they've got a following. They are leaders. And they've got a passion and a zeal for the honor and the glory of Jesus and for his bride. And so in the context of the local church, you want to, as the leaders and the shepherds and pastors of teachers, you want to be looking out for men like that. And then what you want to do as you look at the bottom line on the diagram is you want to have serious conversations with those men. And here I think sometimes we overly think, well, no, the Lord will call them. And the answer is, yes, the Lord will call them, but He's probably going to call them to the elders of a local yeah. church. And so what you want to do is you want to, want to go speak to men like that. You want to encourage them. You want to sell to them to become part of the most glorious mission that is imaginable for mankind. You want to tell them that it, it looks to you as the elders of the church that, they, that they've got the gifts necessary for them to shepherd God's flock. And you want to encourage them to give it a go in something that we call an apprenticeship or an internship. Now here's the thing, often when we speak to men and tell them, leave your secular job or whatever you were busy studying and come and do this, most of them think it's a it is, it is just, it's just too big a jump for them to do. They've invested in other things. They're not 100% sure whether they're actually gifted for this. They're scared out of their wits. Mm -hmm. 
and, and to tell them now to go to seminary for how many years, or now to go plant to church straight away, is just, a, is just a mountain too big for them to climb. But if you can get them to taste local church ministry, um, in every aspect of local church ministry, for, for a short season, for a year, maybe two years, uh, ideally full-time, but maybe only if they can do it part-time. That is the way in which both you as the elders can really assess whether they've got the gifts and for them to, create, to get that hunger as they've been in the pool swimming and actually being part of local church ministry. And that is the place of the apprenticeship. Um, have, a, have a look with me. It should be in your manuals. There was this sheet. Uh, you've got the sheet with you. Um, you can just pull it out of the back. It isn't... It isn't uh, it wasn't part of the, the manual, we've got, to, we've got to put it in. I quickly want to run through what it would look like if you were to do an apprenticeship. Now, apprenticeship or internship, as I said earlier, is an opportunity that you create for someone to experience all of the local church ministry. Everything. Everything from moving the chairs, getting the coffee, preaching the sermon, counseling people, sitting in the finance meeting, planning the event and everything in between, so that somebody can have a proper understanding of what does it mean to be a shepherd of God's people in the context of the local church. You want them to experience that. On the first page, if you look at this page, on the first page, and I'm not going to go through this now, you can have a look at this later, you'll see an example of what we give to our apprentices of the kind of things that we want them to experience in the local church. And you will notice that it's, it's, it covers all of local church and ministry. If you turn to the, the second page, you'll notice we, we even give our apprentices, our interns, we, we, we break down how we want them to plan and schedule their weeks so that we can disciple them in having good time to rest, good time to study, good time to serve, and in between. If you turn to the third page, you'll see that we give, we give to our apprentices um, specific books to read, church plant specific um, books and ministry specific books spiritual for, uh, books that will spiritually form them uh, and we also give them audio to listen, uh, listen to but then in terms of at a training level and, 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 and I know I'm throwing up lots now so you can ask questions afterwards if, if it's getting confusing what we want these apprentices to do is on the one hand experience and do ministry and in that way learn on the job training but then, and we're now on this page, the, the next page there, once a week, we get apprentices from different churches together for workshops. So currently, we've got hubs like this, these workshops currently. We've got one in Centurion, we've got one in Johannesburg, we've got one in Tembisa going. So I'm in the one in Centurion. At the one in Centurion, we're roughly eight different churches, and we've probably got 20 apprentices coming to those workshops. The workshops is every week for the whole year, and the workshop program runs over two years. And what we want to do in those workshops is give guys, and this is different, and to be honest, you don't necessarily get this at this on-the-job training kind of way at seminary. We want to give guys an opportunity to um, better understand God's Word and be better equipped to communicate God's Word. Because remember, if you're going to plant a church, primarily you're going to lead from the Word of God. And so you need to have ability to teach, says the New Testament. Have a look with me there on that program, the kind of stuff that we do with the, um, at the workshops. It, it's three hours every week, three hours, all these guys come, come together. The first hour is the preaching group. In the preaching group, different apprentices, they've been given particular texts to preach. We work through books of the Bible. There's a few topical sermons in between there. But they get opportunities to preach, and then after they preach, they get critted by pastors and other apprentices. Um, and I see a smile here because I remember you were, you were sitting in it a few years ago. And so you know how painful that can be. But that is the place where you learn immensely. In the context where you have a go and somebody who's been in it for a while can, can crit you. In the second session for an hour, we've got what we call as ministry discussion. It's anything from a pastor from a local church talking about a particular church-related topic. We've got Q&As where we'll throw questions out there. One of the apprentices would say he's dealing with a guy struggling with same-sex uh, struggles and desires. 
what does the Bible say about that? How do you disciple somebody in a situation like that? And we'll discuss it and throw it around and get all the pastors and the interns to, to try and figure those things out. We've also got particular readings there that, that we read and then discuss in that session. In the third session of our three hours together in the workshops, the first years do in that third session systematic theology, so Grudem kind of stuff. They do biblical theology, trying to trace the big themes of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. And that is what they do there. The second years try and do a bit more hermeneutics. We try and give them proper Bible handling skills so that irrespective of what genre in the Bible they're in, they know what are the tools that you need to apply to get to the main point of this particular text so that we can be uh, people that are preaching the Bible and not preaching our back and, and you know, whatever, whatever we, we want to say. So that is the workshops. And so we're back at that other diagram now and we're almost done. So this is, uh, this is what we're trying to do. We're trying to find in the local church guys who we think might have it in them to one day be planters. We want to encourage them to give it a go for maybe a year, maybe two years, maybe only part-time, but give it a go. Let them experience ministry. Give them stuff to read. Get them to the workshop so that we then, as the elders, as the leaders, can see both in the local church and when they are handling the word, whether they do have those gifts or not. If they don't have them, it is such a relief to that guy. You can encourage him and say, you don't have to feel guilty about this. Go and do something else. We as the church don't believe that God has called you to this particular area of ministry. But if you, in the, in the context of apprenticeship, believe somebody has got that, those gifts, you want to encourage them then further along. We, we, we haven't got time for that now. I'm going to run through it. Theological training, we, we try to keep theological training in the context of the local church. And so we've got a relationship with guys in America to do a, a degree-level thing at our local church. But many of us in our denominations will have to go and jump through the hoops of that denomination. I still think that there's a place for further theological training. In some contexts it's not necessary, in others it is. But the thing I wanted to talk to us, and then we're going to be done, is that last bit, namely the church plant residency. A church plant residency is different to a apprenticeship scheme. A church plant residency is church plant specific. In a sense, the church plant resident has either gone through apprenticeship or has become proficient in those skills of handling the Word of God already. He is now in a residency specifically to get church plant specific training and get ready to launch his plant. In that last, anything from two years to, say, a uh, a year or a year and a half before you actually launch the church. Have a look with me on this page, the next page there. And, uh, and we're almost there. On that next page there, you'll see an example of when Ole Mokhate, many of you have met him, he planted Brutal Fellowship in the beginning of this year. Ole Mokhate in 2013 and 14 did a church plant resident um, at our church at Lifkins. And so this is what a church plant residency is all about. The first year of Ole's residency was literally him coming on board, getting fully immersed in a church plant, because Lifton was a church plant, doing nothing but observing and constantly asking questions. He sits in on everything, from every possible thing of the church plant. He sits in and he's constantly nailing us, asking us, why are you doing this? Have you got a policy for this thing that you're saying here? How did you open a bank account? How did you decide on your finance committee? What do you do if there's this particular thing? Whatever it would be, he is there to see and learn from a fairly recent church plant, and he does that for the first year. Gets fully immersed in the normal staff responsibilities like all of the other staff at our church. In the second year of the residency, you go from observing to then getting ready for your plant. And what Ona had to do in that year, and, it, and, and I think there, there's a bit of detail that you can go and read through later, what he had to do in, oh, before I get to that last year, sorry, I'm going to get back to that. Quickly have a look, turn one page, and turn a second page, you'll notice it says church plant, the, the church plant residency coaching sessions. So once a month we've given, we, we gave Ona um, a, a few books uh, on church planting, and once a month he needs got work, things to read through. He's got a, he's, he had a, a few hours a month session with me and Tuobi, where well, we try and coach and disciple him in, 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 in getting his mind and his head around lots of the theology behind church planting. 
But now we're in the year of getting ready for that plant. And in that second year, right before the launch, what you want your church planter to do is really, this is really the beginning of a church plant. The launch, when you open the doors on a Sunday, is actually not the beginning of a, of a church. It starts this year before, before it. That is where you gather your core group. Where you get them, you gather that core group. You make you crystal clear with yourself and your other elder, because remember there's no such thing in the Bible as a church without multiple elders, at least two. And so you and the other elder want to sit. What you want to do is you want to get your theology straight. What kind of thing, what is this, what do we believe as a church? What are our, what are our values? You, how, what is our vision? How are we going to get there? You want to work through those things. You want to take it then and you want to install that DNA into your core group. For 12 months, you want to get everybody who's going to be part of your core group because they are the guys that are in the church. Not only the, 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 the lead guy. You want them to be on the same page with you when you guys eventually open the doors and launch as a church. In that year, that's the time when you network with other churches. That's the time when you find your venue. You make sure that you've got somebody that, that, that can do the worship. You make sure you've got an accountant to do the books for you if, if that is what was necessary in your context. That is the time where you raise the funds and you make sure that everything is ready, that you as a team is as healthy as possible when you start actually functioning as a church. And you do that in those last 12 months as you are guided by um, your mentors or your coaches. Uh, the point is this, friends, and there's more to be said, but we're running out of time, and um, I've given lots already. The point is this. We're back to where we started in the beginning. The reality is, is that we live in a world that desperately needs to hear the gospel, and the way that that's going to happen most effectively is in the context of local churches, and we need thousands upon thousands upon thousands of churches only in not only even talking about South Africa or Africa or the rest of the world. God is going to do that work, but I promise you he's going to use us. He's going to use his church. And if it's not going to be us, it's going to be somebody else who's part of his church. But God is going to work powerfully through us. And the question is whether we are going to obey 2 Timothy 2 verse 2 and find those men who are faithful, get them to be able and sending them out, passing on that gospel baton. Any questions? There's lots that I left out, so maybe in the rest of our time together you might have questions, thoughts. Again, I want to say to you, this the way we're doing it is not the only way, but I think this will stimulate thoughts for how you could do it in your context. Take some of this stuff, use what is, what is helpful, check the rest. Any thoughts, questions? Yes, sir. Sorry, there was lots there. Yeah, and we and, and, and we do what we can with what we have. And so in a sense, again, and that's why I carefully chose the words, the prime, primary way that God does these things. He, I mean, you know, the Lord can, the, the Lord can, uh, can do wonders in, in many ways, but it seems in the Bible that He, you know, He, 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 he He's doing these things through His local church. In terms of what we do, so I think that there is certainly a place for the, the missionary, Especially when we go to areas where there aren't local churches, of course we need those pioneers going out into, into, into new settings and to disciple. And as they disciple, they become two. And as they become two, they become three. And we two or more gathered there. Jesus is, and that is a church. And, and then we, we do the best we can with what we have. And you're right that often the local church have been reluctant to, to do this. 
Um, you know, in a sense, we can't, we can't, we, you know, we, we can't change. Maybe I'm um, saying your situation. Mm. It, it seems we are more, we are much into church planting as a church. Yes. It's not really an individual thing of putting up churches. Yes. I'm able to, uh, I'm able to list how we started getting involved as a church. We are now much involved in the church. Maybe in a, in a more, in a higher yeah, so excuse me if, I, if I'm misunderstanding you. Are, are you saying that, so in some settings, you don't have the luxury of churches that can plant churches, and you, have, you need individuals to do, to do that work? Is that what you're saying? Yes, in some settings, they say, they say we are coming from that kind of a setting. But what you have been sharing with us, it's like your church is more into church planting without sort of relaxing. Yes. Well, uh, the right word is the health chart we give you, yes. which the people are really interested in talking about. Yeah. Praying for the laborers and also sending out yeah. the work. Yeah, and you're right about that. And so that is the benefit often of being a church planner, because you can create a new culture. And so you want to, in that sense, so, so the benefit of planting for the first time is that you can create that new culture. And it, and it comes with time, with if you've right from the beginning, I became a Christian in a church planting church. And so from the very beginning, I was, it felt normal to me, and I was always passionate about it, because for me, uh, to be involved as the church, and we are planting a church, and I might be going, felt to me like that's part of what it means to be a Christian. And so we want to create those communities, and I don't know if I'm answering, but we want to create those communities. To do that, if your church isn't currently like that, Pray even harder, get a group of like-minded guys and wait until there's a momentum. And the Lord can change that culture because there's nothing so exciting for the, the typical person in our churches who often think they just come to listen to a, a sermon and maybe give a bit of money. For them to start realizing that they can actually be going or they can be, to use the, the warm uh, analogy, they might not be the soldier going to the front lines, but they can be the guy staying behind funding the war. They're funding this war, and they're as much involved in planting the church then. And so it will be different, but yes, we need to create that culture. We need to, we need to create that culture. Anybody else? Any questions? Now, in terms of your residency and your apprenticeship, um, if someone's already in full-time pastoral ministry yeah. and has theological training, uh, do they go through the same sort of process, yeah. or the no. process is different? You know, brilliant. So that is the, what we're trying to say is we think that those are in a perfect world, the kind of steps that you want to make sure if you go from local church to church planter. Mm -hmm. But it depends. So we've had guys who have... So, so the, the guys currently resident with us came from... A, 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 he had a master's in theology before this. So he's done, pro, he's done lots of theological training. Um, but he was actually... He was actually never trained at seminary in terms of of, uh, of actually church planting, leading people, thinking through lots of the other entrepreneurial kind of stuff. And so he only did the, the, the residency, but we knew him well enough to knew that his character was good, he was a leader, and so forth. And so it depends on the guys. Some guys go through the whole thing. Other guys in their context don't need theological training, and they do apprenticeship and then residency. Um, you know, but but um, so, so you, you, you figure it out in every situation, you do what... But, but that would be the ideal. You want to have those building blocks in place. And if you haven't put it in place, somebody else must have done so. Yeah. So how do you recruit people before the launch? Like you mentioned about the relief for someone who's doing a voice and someone who's doing music. Brilliant. Without being accused of uh, shit stealing, people sold in the finance. How do you find it? What's the process? Okay, the, the first question, how do you recruit? So ideally, ideally, you are recruiting from the very local church who's the sending church. Remember, all plants, this is what we what we would all understand, hopefully with, this is a very religious kind of word, but with ordination, I don't know what you would have, use that in, in, in your context, mm -hmm. is that you shouldn't ever, I think, be planting a church if you haven't been sent by a local church. Ideally, the local church that have laid hands on you, prayed for you and sent you out, 
ideally they would be the place where you would get uh, a core group from, mm -hmm. um, ideally. Of course, often you would have some guys from a local church that they will be giving to you, and if, they, if, they don't, if they're not happy to give some of their people to you, then there's something wrong with, with, with you and the whole, and the whole system. Mm -hmm. So you get, your, you get your people from the sending church. Sometimes, of course, if you're, if you're a church planter, if you're anywhere going to be a church planter, you, you, you should be a, a disciple maker. And so there should be guys in your life that you've discipled for a while that have been in your vicinity and who will join that thing. And, and I, know, I know there's sheep stealing, and sometimes it's not bad to steal sheep. Sometimes it's not bad. Because there's often, to be honest, there's sometimes churches that really, I think Jesus would be happy if he steals certain churches. And I'm saying it's slightly tongue-in-cheek. But, but, what you, but, 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 but what you do, but what you do want to honor and do, and, and we've done this with uh, two of the plants up until now, is that we realize that this planter, if he's going to plant, there's going to be certain guys from other churches that, that might want to join him. And there's no way to, you don't know how to get around that. What we've tried to do is have multiple, not one or two, multiple conversations with the lead pastors of the church or the elders of the church and to explain to them, to say to them, we want to plant a church. This guy is going to plant the church. We are scared that if he plants, we, we make a commitment that we will not steal your sheep. We worry that some of your sheep might go with this guy. Mm -hmm. Why don't you rather partner with us in this? Why, why don't you partner with us, us in this planning? Okay. We'll give most of the funds even. We'll give lots of other people. We'll invest the training for the stuff. What you bring to the table is you give five million people that might go. Maybe they don't, but if they do. And, you, and that's another way that local churches then partner. So that is on the and what you do with, with the men. The second question? The finances. The finances, yeah. Um, with the finances, again, uh, excuse, I can only talk from my context. I realize that in all our contexts, it's different. The one major thing is, and, and this is true for yourself if you want to plant a church, and, and all the more so if you want to continue planting churches. If you don't like being a fundraiser, do not be a church planter. If you're a church planter, for the rest of your life, you're going to be raising funds. And if you're going to be a church planting church, we are always, we constantly, there is, there's not a moment where we're not busy writing some proposal, either for ourselves or for somebody else, to try and raise funds somewhere. Where you do that, of course, is directly related to the quality of the friendships, networks that you've invested in. Mm. If people know you, trust you, know that you're not going to spend it on just yourself, but you're using this for the kingdom's sake, and they see you've got gospel integrity in doing so, um, and if you and if you do it, then they then then money will follow often. But you knock on those doors. I'm happy to forward it to whoever wants it. We have written multiple proposals to different people, some long, some short, focusing on different stuff, and you try and get that out far and wide. You send it with everybody who's a Christian who's got a heartbeat, and you send it out to them. You pray your socks off. We send out hundreds of proposals and. Ten of them have come back giving us money, and that's fine. So that, you know, there's, there's usually enough in the team. And so you just do that thing. Um, last thing to mention there, with apprentices. With apprentices, we try and pay for the apprentices. And in our context, for them to, to have food on the table and petrol in their car or whatever, uh, they need to earn something to just keep going. And so we would, we, we, we would pay them something. But what we do is we pay them two-thirds of what their budget says they need. And even if we can pay everything, we don't. We only pay two-thirds because we want them to raise a third. Because they need to, in their apprenticeship, learn how to fundraise because they're going to be doing it for a long time. We even give them a letter with our head heading on Lichtbund, transmission. We believe this guy is brought to local ministry. This is what he's going to do. We are supporting him financially in this way. Would you also support him? And they can take that to other people. Let's say if, if there's someone not from the local church, maybe someone you've known around the vicinity, or how far would you go as a church planter who's going to be planting in your church with regards to you know, theological sustainability with them? 
Yeah, brilliant. Would be the secondary issue, or how far would you go with that? Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. That's no, a brilliant question, and we and, and that would differ, of course, for all of us, and because because we all got slightly theological majors and minors, don't we? Yeah. So and remember again, when it comes to partnership in general, we ought to be able to partner with all Christians from all different tastes and flavors, but at different levels, and depending on the level. Um, so, for instance, I will do uh, mercy ministry in the in the city of Pretoria with other churches that I massively disagree with theologically on almost everything. But there's a need in the city, and at that mercy ministry level, there's no reason why we can't both support this particular orphanage in the city. And that level we can partner. You don't need massive theological unity on that. At transmission level, which is a training network, slightly closer. But when you plant a church, you want it to be fairly close. Um, now, now again, the, even with the, the four plants that we've currently got, there is, two of them is exactly the same because they're both in different churches. Exactly the same statement of faith um, to the T. The other two, and the other one that is being planted now, um, so One and Tiam, and then also Cebu, all three of them and with us, we would be, in our, in our situation, reformed, evangelical, uh, and by that we mean is that, that we believe in the sovereignty of God in all things. We believe that the Bible is utterly inerrant. Uh, we believe in the apostolic creed. You know, so we believe Jesus literally rose from the, rose from the dead. And those things are non-negotiables. Mm -hmm. If any of them weren't on, the, on those things exactly where we were, we would never plant with them. But when it comes to eschatology maybe, you know, this guy is a primal and that guy is an amal, we think it's fine. Uh, so we, you need to make a call. This guy is a pedo-baptist, those two are Baptists. Okay? And, and so, so you need to figure out what, in what tensions can you live or not. Is it a gospel, gospel issue or something that if you budge on that, it will be a slippery slope to losing the gospel? Then we don't plant with you. And we can be mates. We might even... Uh, you can join transmission and we would like to influence you there. But... Um, yeah, we need to figure that out. I don't know when time's up. I don't know, Kev. Uh, I think quarter two, was it? Okay, good. Yeah, we've got seven minutes. So seven minutes left. Any other questions, thoughts, comments? Just out of interest, um, how did you guys arrive at this particular sort of church planting model in terms of uh, training planters? Is it something else you worked with theologically? Um, Obviously, there's various other sort of models out there. Yeah, again, yeah, I, yeah, I'm, I'm not aware of models so much. So, the, the, so what we're doing, in a sense, is, and that is how discipleship works, isn't it? We tend to be and do. Uh, whoever discipled us in the way that they function, mm -hmm. and so and so, so uh, I first had a, a secular job in a different area when I lived in London, became a Christian there in a, in a church. There was a church planting church. They had an apprenticeship scheme, and um, and it wasn't exactly what we do there, but it was similar in, in, in what it was trying to do. And I did that for for for, uh, for three years, uh, two years as an apprentice there, and then I worked at that church. And so, so this is stuff that, that was done to us, and so we we didn't f f reinvent the wheel. You know, we got this from other guys, and I know that the guys that we got it from got lots of how they were training apprentices from Australia, and I know they got it from somewhere else again. You know, so you figure it out, and you get bits, and then you think, okay, this was brilliant, that actually wasn't that brilliant, so I'm going to chuck that bit, and I want to contextualize it in Pretoria. So in our context, uh, what will work, and then you try something, and every year it evolves, because you, you learn from your mistakes. And so, so in that sense, that's, that's the way that we come up with it. Um, the residency has been slightly our own thing, but again, that we sort of stole from Redeemer City to City, which is very good with this kind of stuff. Yeah. So. I think, I think it's, a, it's a very good word that can be contextualized in different uh, contexts. Um, um, and I think also that um, uh, it might also differ when you are trying to reach out to the unreached, mm. you know, when you are going to do mission, mission, mission mm. work outside, it might differ completely. But uh, 
for uh, planting churches um, in this context, I think it's very good. Thank you, sir. I, th I think that you definitely, so of course, and that's related to the previous conversation we had. I think that, and that makes, you know, the, and, and you're the expert in that, we should have you up there a session on that, but in a, in a context where there aren't any local churches, other people you can partner with, there isn't even a, a church, a local church maybe. You know, so there's lots of pre-discipling, long relationships for that community to, to be built up. And, um, and uh, you know, so that, yeah, that I'm unfortunately not a, yeah. I'm not an expert in that at all. And so, yeah. Yes, um, what would you do versus, let's say, um, denominational? Say you join a network, for example, like The difference between that, let's say, some of the things that you want to do um, does not necessarily coincide with the denomination mm. direction mm. that you How would you work on that transition? Whether you go completely independent or try to find it through the denomination? Yeah, so that's that's a major question for all of us, and that's you know that's one of those things where you need to you need to with with integrity, decide which battles in life you want to pick and what cost you want to bear. Um, because whatever route you take, there's going to be a cost. Mm -hmm. So I've got lots of mates who decided to stay in a very established denomination, and they've done that because with that comes security, and with that comes also uh, uh, security both financially, you get a building, but also theologically, you know that these guys are safe and you're going to be alright in that sense. And there's immense privileges with that. But then they sit with a massive cost where they need to sit in meetings and fight about the changing of the curtains <laughs> in, the, in, the, in the building. And you need to decide, and if, if you go the church planting route maybe, uh, you're not going to have any of those things. You, you can decide, you, you start things from scratch, scratch, wonderful, in many ways, because you're going to find money. You're going to have to put other systems in place, accountability systems so that you don't become heretical. And, and so we all need to decide, um, given my gifting, given the sovereignty of God, where did he put me, and what, what opportunities did he give me, uh, what um, responsibilities did he give me, you need to ask yourself, Lord, um, is the best way to stay here, and there's gonna, if I do this, there's a cost account here, um, but it seems to me that this is my, the, the best way for me to spend my life for the kingdom's sake, or Lord, if I go here, there's going to be costs involved with this, but given the way that you've ordained my life and my gifting and so on, I'm going to go this because I think this is the, the ultimate way that I can spend my life. But, but, but more than that, it's, it, there's too many variables in our lives to, you know, you need to sort of, you need to count the costs and then, and then decide.